What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. everyone welcome into another episode of kentucky daily a daily podcast covering your university of kentucky wildcats i'm your host sean smith joined by my co-host derek terry of the cat's paws derek how are you i'm hanging in there sean how are you derek i'm doing well now we're going to take this topic back to start the show we're going to go back a couple of decades to the tubby smith era uh, so at least 13 years and prior to that, all the way back to 1998. Uh, Derek, this is a topic that you wanted to lead this show off with, just given the recent discussions on social media about whether or not Tubby Smith should have his name hanging in the rafters of Rupp Arena and if it's long overdue. Personally, I think we both believe it's long overdue. I think that Tubby needs to be honored by Kentucky. Hopefully that's something in the works. But Derek, this is what you wanted to lead the show off with. So let's let you introduce this topic and give your thoughts on the on Tubby Smith and his name and the Raptors of Rupp Arena. Yeah, I think it's long overdue uh, for Tubby. Maybe not super long overdue because there's certain criteria you have to reach to be eligible to have your uh, jersey placed up in the Raptors. And uh, our friend Mark Story of the Lexington Herald Leader actually tweeted yesterday about that. Um, it was in a reply to uh, Bruce Simpson, who was asking why Tubby hadn't had his jersey hung up. And Mark said their criteria is, uh, one, they must be in, the person must be in the UK Athletics Hall of Fame to be considered. And two, you're not eligible for your jersey to be retired until 10 years after you've departed the UK. Obviously, Tubby Smith left Kentucky for Minnesota uh, following the 2007 season. And um, he's been in the UK Athletic Hall of Fame since 2013. So he's – seven years uh well I guess three years technically removed from uh the 10-year limit that he had to reach so I mean this is a guy who could have been in years ago had they wanted it that way the only thing I can possibly think of as to why he's not done it yet is if maybe UK was planning something although I'm gonna tell you this Sean I mean could have done it back in 2018 right 20-year anniversary of winning that national championship I don't know I guess Tubby was at was he at Memphis then or was that Penny's first year at Memphis? Let's see. The 2017-2018 season would have been the 20th anniversary of Kentucky's 1998 National Championship. And, yeah, Tubby Smith was still at Memphis then because Penny's first year was 18-19. Perhaps that's why it didn't happen then. Derek, it's kind of wild, though, when you look at the places Tubby has been in his career, you know, starting at Tulsa and Georgia and then getting a job like Kentucky – winning a national championship first year, being on the doorstep of getting to at least three Final Fours after that. And then you see what follows Kentucky, Minnesota, you know, Texas Tech, Memphis, and now High Point. It's kind of a wild trajectory when you look at the places he's been, where he was before, and then Kentucky for as long as he was there, and now after Kentucky. There's no question the High Point in his career was 
uh, well, no pun intended, I guess. <laughs> That's where he's at now at high point. But obviously it's the most success he had came at UK in 1998, taking a team that had been to back-to-back Final Fours before, um, but still guiding them to that championship was a great job. I mean, that was a team that I think a lot of UK fans say was, you know, one of the, one of their favorites, the comeback cats trailed a double digits, uh, double digits in numerous games, including the championship game against Utah. I believe at the time, Sean, it set a record for largest comeback in the second half, right? In the national championship. I don't know if that's been passed since then. There's been over 20 games since then. So maybe it has, but you know, that's, that's just something I don't know why he's, why he's not been there. Yeah, I don't know what UK is really waiting on. Maybe you could wait until a guy's retired, but there has to be other guys hanging up in the rafters who were still active or whatever, probably at the time that they were selected for that. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I mean, you're getting close to time. Uh, John Wall, right, could probably, like, I don't know. I don't think he will just this one year. I'm just saying, like, these are guys who have been here in more recent years than, than Tubby has, and – they're getting close to where you think if if it was possible to happen, those guys could go up there. He won a national championship. That that's what separates him and every other coach that's won a national championship at Kentucky, their name is in the rafters of Rupp Arena. And I just feel like it's time to put him up there. I mean, Cal's here now, yes, but there was a head coach before Cal, Billy Gillespie. So we're two head coaches removes or two head coaches since tubby was at kentucky so it's time to put his name in the rafters and i talked to all those guys from that 98 team i've had them on different shows in the past scott Paget, jeff shepherd hashimu evans i've talked to a lot of them and you know we i they bring up the topic that a lot of people say well we were rick's guys we were rick patino's guys and yeah they were rick's guys but then they have both told me but the things that Tubby did with that team, especially defensively with his, you know, ball on defense and just the things that they did that season to come together as a team, they give Tubby a ton of credit when it comes to what happened. And then when you look at the teams that Tubby beat, you know, the revenge versus Duke in the Elite Eight, that was six years since the Leitner shot. So if Kentucky had lost that game, that was probably going to be a devastating moment again in UK basketball history. Uh, but they come back from 17 down against Duke. And then you have the double-digit comeback versus Stanford. Then the 10-point comeback at half uh, versus Utah. Eric, that was the first year that I followed Kentucky basketball from start to finish. I watched 96 and 97, but I didn't watch every single game. 98, I watched every single game, regular season, postseason. I was so nervous that I was outside walking back and forth on the front porch. I just couldn't take it. I'm glad for you that they came out on top in your first year. It uh, sets the bar high, though, whenever that happens. Uh, they won a title, and that was, you know, that was a hell of a run they had two out of three years. They won the title. Um, you'll get a lot of U.K. fans argue to the death that uh, they should have won three in a row had Derek Anderson played 97 against Arizona, a game that still went to overtime. I mean, they had some chances that year to, to win. But overall, I mean, I just – it's it is kind of hard to figure out why he's not in yet. It's it's not even a question. I mean, it's a matter of if or when, not if, because you know he's going to be in it. So it's interesting. I hope uh, when he comes back, you know, I think the fans will be very gracious to him. And I tell you, I've never liked that whole cop out that you know people use that a lot against Tubby. It seemed like at his time towards the end of his UK career, because I mean it did. Uh, he he never missed a tournament. I mean they still made the tournament every year that Tubby was there, but. It wasn't the program of old, but at the same time, Sean, how hard is it? We, we've seen it in college basketball. Kentucky's played for over 100 years. They've won the NCAA championship eight times, eight out of all the years they've played. 
And you don't just you don't just lock in NCAA tournament victories. I mean, they they're hard to come by. And for him to have guided that team, yeah, he had a lot of good players, but they also had a lot of guys from those 96, 97 teams that weren't there anymore. I mean, a lot of those guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of those guys in 98, they were role players in the years leading up to that. I mean, maybe Wayne Turner was someone who had played big roles on those other teams. But, you know, I've watched the 96 championship game. You don't see a whole lot of Jeff Shepard running around out there against Syracuse. You know, you don't see uh, some of those other guys. Allen Edwards, right? I don't know if he was even there at that point. But a lot of these guys who were big in 98 – you know, they, they might have been recruited by Rick, but they, they really formed it into the players that they were under Tubby. And when you look at Tubby's time at Kentucky, the popular phrase was 10 lost Tubby that was coined. I mean, Tubby had, let's see, one, two, three. He had five seasons of 10 or more losses, Derek. But when you look at Cal's time at Kentucky, there's three seasons of 10-plus losses. Now, one of them led to a Final Four appearance. Uh, but like this season, 1998-1999, Kentucky went 28-9. That was Wayne Turner, Scott Padgett, and Hashimu Evans' senior year. They were one game away from the Final Four. They lost to Michigan State in the Elite Eight. And then you you go down here to the end of his career. That was the two of the other ones. They went 22-13, and 22-12. Now, that's when recruiting started going the other way. But we mentioned the Jay Lucas situation. Kentucky, Tubby was so close to landing two McDonald's All-Americans after his final season in Lexington. And who knows what would have happened with that scenario before he left for Minnesota. And two, it should be noted that the relationship between Tubby and Kentucky, it, it's not poor. I mean, Tubby was sitting courtside with his wife Donna in 2012 in New Orleans when John Calipari and Kentucky won the program's eighth national championship. Uh, Joe B. Hall was there that night too. So former UK coaches were there watching that game and Tubby was there. You look at his winning percentage, it's higher than Joe B. Hall's was. Joby Hall now, which I know he was different circumstances, a, a Kentucky boy who was on – who played at UK and was on uh, Adolph Rupp's staff for a long time. But Tubby went 263 and 83 in his time at UK. I mean, he obviously his success, even though he did win a national title, his success is not on the level of Rick Patino's. It's not obviously on the level of Rupp or even Calipari's. But he's done more than enough to – have that banner up there soon. Uh, I, I think it will be done soon. But Tubby had 58 losses through his first eight seasons at Kentucky, which is which is really good. And then those 25 losses, those last two years, that sort of that changes the way that I think everyone looks at what Tubby did at Kentucky were those last two seasons that just weren't very good. Back-to-back uh, -back second-round losses in the NCAA tournament. Didn't have names on that team that really stood out in those last couple of teams. I know Rajon Rondo was there the, the first year of that. But then after that, there wasn't a whole lot of names. I think Bobby Perry was probably their best player. That's Ray Thomas and some guys like that. So didn't have the high-profile names on that roster. But, Derek, there was a three-year stretch there in SEC play that, let's see here, they won. They went 16-0 and with the 2002-2003 team. 32-4 and four overall, that, Derek, that might be one of the best Kentucky teams I've ever seen that didn't win a national championship, won 26 straight games before losing to Dwayne Wade in the Elite Eight. That was the year Keith Bogans had the injury where things probably could have been different. But that three-year stretch, 32-4, and 27-5, 28-6. But here, they went 43-5 and five in SEC play. 43-5 and five in SEC play. That is impressive. That's before the one-and-done error. That was when people were staying three or four years at places like Florida and all these other places in the SEC, Tennessee, 
uh, just very impressive that stretch, that three-year stretch. But then after that, 2004, 2005, and then the two bad years to close his career at Kentucky. You had uh, Anthony Roberson right at Florida, Matt Walsh, those guys who were there. No, you're right. I mean, I was going to make that point. That how many times has Cal's teams gone 16 and 0? Obviously, the undefeated team in 2015. Twice, Kentucky's 2012 team with Anthony Davis. They ran the table in the SEC too, which they lost in the SEC championship game. They did. Uh, to but no, you're right. Um, it was a, it was a, it was a good for UK standards. Tubby had a good run. He didn't have a great run. I wouldn't say. I mean, Cal was having a great run. Rick Pitino had a great run. Obviously, Ed Offerup had a great run. I would, I would put Tubby and, and Joby Hall in the good category. Certainly far better than Billy Gillespie's career or, or even Eddie Sutton's career. So, whenever he gets that put up there in, in the Raptors, that'll be a good day. It'll be, it'll be a fun time, I think, for UK fans to reminisce on that group of, of kids and those players. And, and one last thing on Tubby. I mean, you're talking about that 03 season. They followed that up that next year. They were, they were the, the number one overall seed, right? That's two, and I know what like Kentucky and really anywhere you're judged on what you do in the NCAA tournament, but he, that's that's two back-to-back years that those were all his guys. He had he had been five six years into the program at that point, seven years maybe, and it was tough for them to uh, to lose that game to UAB. I remember that a little bit. Oh five, really for me, it was the first year that I really followed it closely. That Michigan State game. Patrick Sparks, I mean, a classic college basketball game back before the floors were all uh, the same NCAA logo. They played at the University of Texas. And, uh, man, that was a fabulous game and really a game that uh, felt like Kentucky was going to find a way to get back. It was the year, uh, I believe North Carolina beat Illinois in the final four. Yeah, it was. I don't know who UK would have played out of those two teams that year, but that was a wild Elite Eight. I mean, you had uh, – West Virginia and Louisville, didn't they play a great game that year? They did. And then DePaul, or sorry, it was at DePaul, but Illinois came back in Arizona. I mean, it was a great Elite Eight that year. Uh, yeah. I mean, those, those are fun times to kind of remember on. But the whole idea of it, what we're trying to get at is, yes, that, I mean, it's, it's past due. I think we both agree that it's not – he's had three years, I think, I guess, going by Mark Story's tweet that he could have been in there. I yeah. think it probably should have been done that first year. But that three-year stretch of 43-5 and five in SEC play just really stands out to me. I know it didn't, you know, transition into a national championship or even a Final Four appearance, but that was dominance in the SEC during a time where there were good players in the SEC. And then Billy Donovan, you got uh, Joe Kim Noah and Al Horford and those boys on campus. Uh, well, Lee Humphreys, all those guys. I mean, they're just two, two great years. I mean, winning back-to-back national championships, unbelievable job. Yeah, and you could actually say that that stretch of back-to-back national championships probably was the beginning of the end for Tubby at Kentucky because that's supposed to be Kentucky getting to those Final Fours, winning national championships. That wasn't supposed to be Florida or anyone else. I think LSU even had a Final Four appearance somewhere in that stretch too. So you could probably point to that as sort of the passing of the torch for that three- or four-year period there in the SEC it was hard to compete with Florida when they were bringing in those guys. But, yeah, we both agree that it's long overdue uh, for Tubby to have his name in the Raptors. I'm sure that that will be coming soon. But since we be, we started this podcast in 1998, now we're going to go back to present time here in 2020, and we're going to transition this thing to the football side of things. Derek, you laid out a very interesting situation or scenario to me in the last few days, and this is another topic that you wanted to bring up and it is how close Kentucky is to 
things being sort of like they were at quarterback last year, but not having to play a wide receiver. So for anyone to say that Kentucky, they have a lot of depth at quarterback right now, yes. Terry Wilson's there, healthy. That's the guy that Kentucky hopes is the starter all the way through this thing for this season. He told us recently, you know, that this is his last ride. So I think Mark Stoops, Eddie Grand, that staff, they hope that he finishes this thing out, is able to go. But we're living in a time with COVID-19. We don't know what that presents. Uh, with injuries, we've seen it last year with not only to Terry, but to Sawyer Smith. So Sawyer's still there as well. Joey Gatewood, we're still waiting on a waiver. We have no idea. Three weeks uh, from the kickoff at Auburn, we don't know. So Bo Allen is there as a true freshman, Derek. You and I both agree here. If something were to happen to Terry, it certainly sounds like that Bo Allen will be the guy playing quarterback if Joey Gatewood is not eligible. Yeah, I mean, I think you just hit the hit the nail on the head. Um, basically, you're in the spot, and I, it occurred to me, I guess, yesterday, based on what we heard, it really comes down to the biggest question is Joey Gatewood. If he's eligible, this whole scenario, I don't think really takes place too much. Like I don't, because Joey, if he's eligible this year, it only makes sense that he would be the guy who actually has a little bit of experience playing, not a ton, but he did play at Auburn a little bit, gotten most of the games down there. But if he's not eligible, you you go to a situation where you have a quarterback uh, and Terry Wilson is your first stringer. For more, this is such a strange season anyway, and Bo Allen is guaranteed another year of eligibility if he chooses to have it. Uh, either way, I think if you get in a scenario, one, if, if there's another injury to Terry or something like that, we hope is not the case. But if there is, um, or if something weird happens with, with COVID, because we've seen some teams have to, not every single guy has tested positive for COVID, but because of the contact tracing, they've had to potentially miss practices. If that happens during a season, maybe you end up in some kind of weird scenario. And I think teams are going to do what they can to keep their quarterbacks separate from the rest of the team. I think I saw one tweet um, from some rider in Georgia, some high schools, when they travel, the quarterback is taking a different uh, mode of transportation. The quarterback's not even riding with the team. So I think schools will do what they can to keep the quarterback safe. But in that scenario that Terry, for some reason, couldn't play and Joey's not eligible, you turn to a situation where I think it's advantageous to play Bo Allen solely because I think he's already probably as good and has a trust that a Sawyer Smith would have. And, and again, if we would have had this podcast last year, Sean, I would have been talking Sawyer Smith up after that Florida game because I thought he played great. I thought he was going to be more than good enough for Kentucky to get back to a bowl game with him at quarterback. But, of course, he had his injuries. But for the future of the program, you know, Terry's – on this podcast, Terry already told us that this was his last season. If you get an opportunity to play Bo Allen in a year that – I'm going to go and say it. There's going to be some asterisks on this season either way. It's just a weird year. We all know that. You, you still want to play to win every single game. I'm not saying you purposely, you know, do things to not try to win. But that that experience that he could gain this year, if it comes down to it, I think makes all the sense in the world for the future of Kentucky football. You, you hear things in preseason camp. Some of those things turn out to, to be true. Some of them turn out, you know, they just don't work out the way you, you would hope. But you've had Mark Stoops on prompt to bring up Bo. You've had Eddie Grant talk up Bo. And then I've had a couple sources tell me that the kid's a real deal. And one thing, too, how much excitement do you think plays into this that Bo was their top target in a class and they got him to campus as a freshman? 
it wasn't something that happened that they recruited and, you know, had to go get somebody to transfer in. I mean, Derek, when you look at this, let's lay this whole thing out. So the, the Mark Stoops error, sort of the quarterback position has been the one key spot that's been missing in recruiting. They've never been able to really land their top guy outside of Drew Barker. Drew Barker was the only one that that was their guy that year. And he came in, he came in and was the quote unquote savior of Kentucky football. There were comparisons to Tim Couch, a Kentucky kid coming in. The injury happened, you know, and things didn't work out with Drew. Prior to that, you had Patrick Tolles, you know, that situation didn't work out. And then we had to go the transfer market with Steven Johnson. He comes in uh, sort of, probably should get a ton of credit for helping save Mark Stoops' job at Kentucky because if that had not worked out, I don't know where this program would be. And then you follow it with Terry Wilson, another transfer. When it, you know, they recruited, you know, other guys there, Jaron Williams at that position that probably would have been their starting quarterback had they landed him twice and got him to sign, he probably would have been the quarterback at Kentucky that season. And then you look at last year too, which is, you know, losing Terry and then there's Sawyer Smith, a transfer stepping in, then eventually Lynn Bowden having to – take over at quarterback so when you look at this Bo's the guy that they've brought in now they're grooming him and molding him to take over this offense at some point and I think that finally that has to be some excitement for the staff to know that this is the guy that they wanted and that they want to at some point to take over this thing you're totally right about the quarterback option I'm trying to think back to last class I mean Bo was a guy that they targeted pretty early in the process. Uh, he was a Kentucky legacy. His dad had played at Kentucky. Made it pretty clear that he wanted to be at UK. So it made all the sense in the world for them to go ahead and grab him. But you're right. I mean, one of the unsung, I think, things of the Kentucky football era is that Stoops has built a competitive program without having to have a generational type quarterback. He's not had a Lamar Jackson, uh, any of these other schools that have kind of risen up because of a great quarterback. Louisville is the absolute best example of that, I think, in their football program. I mean, you, you have Teddy Bridgewater, uh, a great quarterback still. He's going to be a starter in the NFL. I mean, they've got multiple guys in the in the NFL who are going to be starters probably. And they've had some good years. But Kentucky, I mean, in the SEC, they get to 10 wins with a first-year starter in Terry Wilson who played the majority of the year uh, but did have time. He started every game but did have times where – he wasn't in the game. They put Gunnar Hoke in. I know they tried the Denny Clark thing just for a second <laughs> at Missouri. But, yeah, when you talk about the recruiting process, too, I mean, the whole reason Terry ended up at UK is because Jaron Williams decommitted. And you go back to 2017, none of those guys are still around. But, you know, you ended up with a guy like Denny Clark because Mac Jones decommitted. You look at Jaron last year, he's a starter at Miami. Mac Jones has a pretty good chance to be Alabama starter this year. I think they've targeted the right kind of kids. I mean, I think they know the talent when they see it. It's just there for a few years. They had a really hard time figuring that out. And now you heard Terry talk about it a little bit last week. It seems like they're at a spot finally where, like, the depth is is legitimately good. Like, I think they have three three really good options with Terry, Joey, if he's eligible, and Bo. And if it gets down to a point where you have to play Sawyer, he's made plays for you in the past. Um, it's unfortunate for him. He didn't get to show everything what he could do because of his injuries. But – you're not going to be in a spot this year where you have to go back to total desperation mode. And that's a good sign. It's just, you know, that's what the depth does. You know, Stoops is in his eighth year now. Grand's in his fifth. They know what they want on offense, and they're getting these kids. And uh, that's just a scenario, though, that I'm telling you. It's not crazy far off, though. 
you're one play away. Basically, you're one play away if Joey's not eligible, just like you were last year uh, when Terry yeah. went down. And it could be COVID, so you technically don't even have to be a play away. It could just be a scenario away where COVID-19 runs through your roster or something at some point, and you're looking at a completely different guy in the quarterback room. So we're just going to see how that plays out. But staying on the football topic, let's wrap up with this, Derek. You're still seeing guys around the SEC in college football that are deciding to opt out. Here we are three weeks before the season opener, and Georgia quarterback Jamie Newman decided that he's going to opt out and not play this season at Georgia. Huge news in the SEC, Derek, given Georgia's already situation at quarterback where it's going to be a new guy regardless of who it is. Now that it's not Newman, and we're talking about all these scenarios at Kentucky right now with you know how close you are to being not only at guy two, but possibly guy three or even four in a season like this, does that change your thoughts about Georgia in this East division? Yeah, depending on who you talk to, some people loved Jamie Newman. Some of my ACC buddies who cover that league, they, they thought he was fantastic. And then you get other people who thought he really just put up great numbers against inferior teams, which then again, he's at Wake Forest, which Dave Flossen has made that a respectable program. I, I know it sounded like I was taking a shot at Wake Forest. I really wasn't. Um, they've done a good job with a program that is, you know, kind of at some disadvantages compared to some of those others in the league. But – the thing that I think would concern me if I'm a Georgia fan, one, is you already had a lot of turnover in the offseason. You're basically playing a whole new offensive line, and you have a new offensive coordinator in Todd Monken. So that's all fine and good because you got JT Daniels to transfer in, but Kirby Smart's latest update was that Daniels wasn't even cleared to play fully yet because he tore his ACL last year at USC. So once Daniels gets healthy, and considering UK plays them late uh, – or no, it's it's the fifth game of the year this year, right? Either way, I'm guessing he's still going to be healthy by the time of that Kentucky game. But he might not be healthy for that Alabama game early in the year. I think they still play early in the year. And you could see guys maybe as the year goes on. I don't know. I mean, these kids can opt out at any time if they want to. I would think you're, you're right, though, about I don't know what's going on at Georgia. I don't know what their case numbers look like. I mean, he, he said that he's, he's going to go ahead and train for the NFL. So... You had some people saying that, oh, he's only doing this because he knew he was going to be the second-string quarterback anyway behind Daniels, which maybe wouldn't be that bad of a theory. But if, according to Smart, if Daniels uh, is not even clear yet, I don't know how he would have been, you know, back up to him, to a guy who's not even really playing yet. So I don't think that theory is true as of now. But it does, I think, help UK, especially in the fact that, I mean, Sean, if they get in a scenario, if Kentucky plays well enough, and Georgia takes some losses early. You could be in a situation where, even if you lose in Georgia, if you can still take care of some of these other teams, you could get to a scenario where late in the year against Florida, it could be to, to decide the East, realistically. But I think if you look at these FPI and strength of schedule, Florida pretty far and away has the easiest schedule out of every team in the SEC. Like, I changed my mind. For a long time, I've been Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. I still think they're the team until somebody beats them. By that logic, they probably should still be, but they've lost so much, and Florida's schedule is so easy that I think, like, at this point, Dan Mullen better take advantage of uh, he, this season. He has to. He has to take advantage of this. Uh, but, Derek, we gave our game-by-game predictions on one of the first episodes of Kentucky Daily. I think going into that season opener, once all the dust settles with, uh, you know, players opting out and some injuries preseason – 
we should probably go back and give our game-to-game predictions again to see if anything has changed, and then probably our order of finish in the SEC East and the SEC West. So we'll come back and do that here in a couple of weeks. But this has been another episode of Kentucky Daily. Thank you all so much for continuing to listen. Thank you, thank you for your ratings, reviews, your kind words, your emails, your messages. If you would like to advertise on the show, please feel free to reach out to me. It's gobigbluecountry at gmail.com is the email. Derek's is DerekTerry17 at gmail. You can find our Twitter info in the description of this podcast wherever you listen. If it's on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, all that information is there. We uh, do have two sponsors that we will be introducing on this podcast beginning Monday. So we're really excited about that. But if you would like to hop on to the Kentucky Daily team and you know promote your business 20 to 25 times a month on one of the top shows that is growing in the state of Kentucky and around Kentucky, uh, we would love to have you join our team. So just uh, feel free to shoot a message to either one of us to talk about that. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next time. If you have loved ones that rely on your income, you need life insurance. But finding the best quote shouldn't take a lifetime. With Policy Genius, you could save 50% or more by comparing quotes from America's top insurers. First, head to policygenius.com. In minutes, Policy Genius will compare prices starting at as little as $1 a day. You might even be eligible to fast track your coverage with a no exam policy. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team handles all the paperwork and red tape. If you have any questions, their team of licensed independent experts is on hand to help. In fact, Policy Genius's award winning service has a five star rating across thousands of reviews on Trustpilot and Google. Make today the day you cross life insurance off your list and get protection for your loved ones. You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes. To get covered, head to policygenius.com today.